leading up to Christmas that we started last week, just called Covenant. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 6. There's an Asian proverb that encourages people that if you're going to get along well in the world today, if you see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, represented often by little monkeys, and you can buy little things of these little monkeys that have their eyes closed, their ears closed, uh, and their mouths closed. See no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. There might be some wisdom in that, I guess, uh, as we live life in this fallen world, but the reality is this. We can't avoid it. We can't avoid seeing evil and hearing evil all around us today. You can see and hear evil all around us by looking at headlines, right? There's always a war or conflict going on somewhere. You can, you can zoom out to the world around us, seeing terrorism and unrest in Afghanistan. You can zoom in a little closer to places like Haiti where you see kidnapping and corruption that don't allow people that have needs to have those needs met. You can zoom in closer to our own nation where we see depravity being celebrated, human trafficking flying under the radar and abortion still happening legally. You can watch the the local news which is just filled with crime after crime. Even in our local paper, Stories of local crime written in details that we just like, well, kids, you can't look at the paper this week. Because uh, it shares a lot of details that are just ugly and evil. Corruption, greed, and violence. Real evil causing real deep suffering for people around us and around the world. Often it seems that it's undeserving people that are suffering. Babies, children, young widows becoming refugees as they flee in an effort to protect their kids. From the horrors of violence and war. You don't have to look at headlines though. You can zoom in and, and you've felt even potentially the reality of evil in your own home, in your own school, whether it be through bullying or abuse of various sorts. We see evil. We can't not see it. We can't not hear about it. So how do we respond to it? We long for justice. We want to see evil restrained through the punishment of evil people. Maybe you've even entertained the idea, what if God were to just kind of like wipe it all clean and start over with a few good people? Would that be the answer? Well, today we're looking at the second major covenant that we see in Scripture. The covenant that God makes with His servant Noah and extends then to the rest of creation, which will lead us also to look at 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, but we'll begin by just reading Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 18. If you're able to, would you stand? Let's pray first, Father. Uh, Be at work by Your Spirit now. Some coming in here uh, really discouraged Maybe because of suffering in their own life. Maybe because of evil they see around us. Maybe because they're concerned about the direction of a number of different things. Father, I I pray that for all of us, you would help us by your Spirit to respond rightly uh, to evil. Trusting that, that your response is the right response. And so... Thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us. As, as we said, the goal of this series is, I pray that you would help us as we look at it now, not only to understand the Old Testament better and how it all fits together, but also that you would help us to 
grow in our confidence in you as we look at people around us and see how people around us fail all the time, including ourselves, and how, how you never fail. I pray that you would increase our faith and confidence in you as we look at your word, and I pray that our longing for Jesus would grow. Please accomplish these things for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I will read from Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5. We'll go through verse 18. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Amen. You can be seated. So along with the uh, connecting point, which thank you, Leanne, for your continued good work on that, that just highlights a couple of people in the church that have served our church extremely well, there is also a sermon notes page. Uh, the only life group meeting this week uh, is our life group, so I didn't make a guide, so we're going to wing it in our life group this week. Uh, but uh, there is a spot for you to take notes there as well. Uh, by the way, pay attention to the bulletin. There's a lot of things. Uh, there's some things that are still happening, high school youth group happening tonight, middle school youth group, a lot of those things in the middle of the week. Uh, most life groups also uh, canceled this week uh, as as people uh, are away. Also, no Sunday school next week. So just be aware of those things. Last week, we started this covenant series, and we saw this special relationship that God had with Adam and Eve. That God into nothing creates everything by speaking, and He makes all of creation, but at the pinnacle or crown of that creation is only one type of being, one living creature that is able to have the kind of relationship with Him that is a covenant type of relationship, uh, an agreement between two parties. It is God making in His image and likeness Adam and Eve, male and female, He creates them in His image, able to have this kind of relationship where they have dominion over the rest of creation, but God is ruler and they are to be subject to Him and obey Him, but they don't. 
Adam fails. Sin and death enter the world. Separation from God. That relationship torn apart. And the results of the fall are seen immediately. And so I told you, if you kept reading, last week left off in Genesis chapter 3. If you keep reading, it's just going to get worse, right? Chapter 4, we see one of Adam and Eve's sons murder another of the sons. Much time passes, we read through the generations between Adam and Noah in chapter 5. Chapter 6 opens with a description of some type of wicked perversion leading to the harsh description that we just read at chapter 6, verse 5. Did you hear when I read chapter 6, verse 5? Did you hear all the superlatives in there? Look at it. Again, verse 5 in chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So, great wickedness. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's not just saying, hey, things had gotten sort of bad. That, that, that's, that's really, really bad, right? A bunch of superlatives used to get this point across. And so when we start reading after this about God's judgment, we have to say, oh, that judgment is just. He is not a cruel God. He is a just God. And so we could read through and look at more details. Again, we're kind of covering basically four chapters and then seeing how that leads us into the New Testament today. So we're not going to cover every detail about every part of this chapter. It's just an overview to help us to see this covenant relationship because there is still a relationship that that God's judgment that He explains is coming. He explains it to one man who seems to be different from all of the other people whose only intention of their heart was only evil all the time. And it's a man named Noah. He finds favor in the sight of God. In fact, man, verse 9, that is, that is a serious commendation. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So there's this huge contrast between everybody else and Noah. Does that mean he was like without sin? No. But comparatively, his life looked pretty flawless compared to the way everybody else was living. And he finds favor with God, and so God lets him know of his plan for judgment and his plan for mercy. That there will be judgment on all of the earth, yet he will have mercy on Noah and his family. So in verse 18, that's the first time we actually see the word covenant in Scripture. That's the verse I ended with. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. I'm going to put on the screen uh, just the the definition of uh, covenant, just because it's a word we're going to use a lot. That was the definition I shared last week that we're going with as we walk through this series, a relationship between two parties involving permanent and serious commitments of faithful, loyal love, obedience, and trust. So everything and everyone is deserving of God's just judgment, but God makes a covenant, has a special relationship, and saves some. So if you kept reading in chapter 6 and into chapter 7, you'd read of the account of the preparation of the ark that leads up to this flood. And if you go ahead to chapter 7, verse 16, 
those preparations end in this way. Verse 16, And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So Noah and his family living in right relationship with God, submitting to God's plan to both make the ark and then go into the ark, now go in and God does the work of shutting the door in order that Noah and his family might be saved through the waters of judgment. The flood, if you keep reading, you'll find would last for 40 days and then God's work of judgment is complete at this point. Verse 23. Look at chapter 7, verse 23. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. We see God's judgment in those verses, don't we? And we also see God's mercy as we continue. Go on to chapter 8, verse 1. These two words show up many times in Scripture, and it's almost always good news that follows. But God. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. If you continued on in chapter 8, you would see how it is that they get to the point that we read about in verse 18. So chapter 8, verse 18. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. What an amazing thing that would have been to see. So, here's what we've seen so far. There's evil in the world. You can't not see it. You can't not hear about it. We long for God's justice, yet we need God's mercy, and we see both of those here in the flood, God's judgment, and the ark, God's mercy, saving some through the waters of judgment. And then we've seen this word show up now, the word covenant, an agreement that God makes going forward from this time. Here's a covenant that God makes with his people. So that's the second point, looking at chapter 8, verse 20 through chapter 9, verse 17, God's covenant. Verse 20, let's just read chapter 8, verse 20 through the end of that chapter. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And then, much like we saw with Adam, God makes a command to be fruitful and to multiply. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. If you compared 
Genesis chapters 1 through 3 and Genesis chapters 8 and 9, you would see a lot of parallels. It's almost like a fresh start, like a recreation that God is doing now with Noah and his family. If, let's go ahead and pick it up in chapter 9, verse 7. We, we skipped over some important stuff about them, man being made in God's image, which again we saw earlier in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Now verse 7. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. Now verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him. Listen to how many times we're going to hear the word covenant now. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. All the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. So Noah kind of taking this place of Adam as the covenant head, but it's a covenant that extends from Noah, from God, through Noah, to all of creation. A lot of those words just got repeated throughout that, and the sign of the covenant is the rainbow. So 9 verses 7 through 17 help us to see how God is kind of restarting things once again, making a covenant with Noah that extends to all of creation, just as he did earlier with Adam. Kind of starting over. So we have to ask the question, was this the extent of God's plan? Was his plan just, well, Adam failed, so... How about I give them a second chance? A fresh start with Noah, telling him to have dominion, telling him to be fruitful and multiply, having him live in a right relationship with God. Like, would it all be better now? Like, there was Adam, and we saw, okay, it didn't get all better after that. But now there's Noah and judgment, sweeping judgment, and now there's Noah and his family. A fresh start. Is it going to get all better now? Well, we could keep reading in chapter 9, and we'd see Noah's fall, his son's sin, Noah then sharing a curse with that son. In chapters 10 and 11, the growing world population plots together, rebelling against God, rejecting the glory of God, and instead trying to make a name for themselves by building the Tower of Babel. So we don't have to read much further to recognize, well, this can't be the extent of God's plan, right? Each of these covenants, remember, gives us a better understanding of God. 
We understand God more and more and His relationship to His people, but each of them makes us long for something better. That's why I said last week, if I would have done it right, but I didn't want to do this, last week I could have just said, like, oh, it's not Adam. Come back next week and we'll keep reading. And now I could say this week, oh, it's not Noah. Like, our hope isn't in Noah. Like, that, that's not going to be it. Keep reading. And I could keep doing that every week, but I also said last week that I don't know that we're all going to be back here again next week for sure. And so we get to some application for us for today, and that is this. We're longing for judgment and mercy. It's not possible. I don't know if our world today is as evil as it was, as described in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. But it's not possible to see no evil and hear no evil in our world today. We see evil, we hear evil, we need to respond to it. There's something in us, I think because we're made in God's image, that longs for justice. We want to see wrong things set right. We want to see evil restrained and evil people punished so that good can spread and be rewarded. That's what we want. Like We want justice, don't we? But we're also desperately in need of God's mercy because if we're honest, Evil isn't just the stuff that's the problem out there in the headlines. It's something that comes from in here. When we wrestle with our own thoughts, with our anger, with our lust, with our greed, with our pride, all of those things, if, we, if we're honest, if God were to destroy all that was evil, we would be included. So we long for justice. But we're desperately in need of God's mercy. We know that justice isn't going to come if all the right Supreme Court justices uh, get put on the bench. It's not our answer. We know that we're not going to find mercy as we make some sort of cuddly God in our own image. Here's what we do know. Our longing for justice and mercy are going to be met in only one, and His name is Jesus. We see justice and mercy in the first coming of Jesus. So as we get into these weeks leading up to Christmas where we remember and celebrate the first coming of Jesus, it's good for us to recognize that when when we see the first coming of Jesus, we see God's justice and mercy. A lot of times people kind of pit those two against each other. How can God be both just and merciful? And the answer to that really comes down to the cross of Jesus Christ. Earlier we sang how great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. God can remain fully just, and be merciful to us because of what happened on the cross as Jesus. Here's what it says in 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. How does God show us His love? And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is our wrath absorber. The punishment bearer. The, the substitute who takes our place, bearing the wrath of the Father for our sins. 
we see evil, we long for justice, we need mercy, and God's response is sending His Son. Jesus, who comes to live, as we talked about last week, as the true and better Adam, who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Adam failed, Jesus didn't. He was perfectly obedient. He lives as our representative, and then He dies as our substitute, taking our place, our propitiation, so that all who trust in Him will be saved. We long for justice, we need mercy, and we see it in Christ at the first coming, but we're living after the first coming of Christ, right? He has come, and yet we still see evil, and we still long for justice, and we still need mercy. So what are we waiting for? What are we looking for? What are we hoping in? Well, it's the second coming of Jesus God's response to evil will be seen clearly in the return of Jesus. You know, if you're trying to understand like how a passage like Genesis 6 through 9, how does that apply to us? One of the helpful things we could do is you open up Scripture and find where in the New Testament is that passage quoted. A couple of different spots. I don't have this one on the screen. You can turn really quick to Matthew chapter 24. I think it's at the very beginning of that chapter. I didn't put it in my notes, so I hope I'm right. Matthew 24. Yeah, here we go. Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's also referred to in 1 Peter chapter 3. I want you to go ahead and turn there. So as we look ahead, Jesus himself is pointing us back to Noah to help us to look ahead to what comes when he returns. It will be judgment as it was in the days of Noah, a surprise to most people, but the just judgment of God coming on people in the days of Noah is the same thing that's going to come upon the return of Jesus. If you turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, we can see this even more clearly. Start in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember. They keep forgetting. Do you notice all that? Stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Right? It's easy to get kind of lulled into that. Like you're looking around like, 
Yeah, people have been saying Jesus is coming for a long time, and people write books, and it has dates, and then they got to like, well, I meant a different date. I guess I read this one thing wrong. Like, they're just scoffing. Like, you guys are silly. You're really hoping in, in the coming of a king riding on a horse, bringing judgment. He used to be dead. Now you say he's alive again. And he's, you believe all that stuff? We're scoffing. Where's, where's the promise of his coming? Everything's just the same. Like nothing changes. It's been 2,000 years now. Verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, that's water, the world that was then existed was deluged with water and perished, referring back to what happened in the days of Noah, right? But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There is still to come. (laughs) For those that think God will not intervene in the world, they're reminded, remember Noah's day. Oh, God intervenes in the world. He's not letting evil go unchecked forever. And there is a day coming when God will send His Son and evil will not go unchecked forever. Why not yet? (laughs) Right? We we look at the evil all around us and we're like, well, if if God could send His Son and and immediately do away with all of the evil in the world, why, why doesn't He do it now? Well, that's what Peter answers next. Look at verse 8. But do not overlook this fact, this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And then look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's our memory verse for this week. Why hasn't He come yet? Don't be lulled into thinking it's never going to happen. God will intervene in our world. And He hasn't come yet because He's patient, because He's merciful. Because when He comes, there's not second opportunities. But before He comes... There are opportunities, multiple opportunities in front of us who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus to proclaim to people the reality of God's judgment and the good news of God's mercy that they might hear it and that the Spirit might give them a new heart, that they might repent and turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. So we're memorizing that verse this week. Verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This has an effect on how we live now. It says that in verses 11 and 12. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness 
dwells. We're waiting not just for a coming day of judgment, but a a coming day in which Jesus reigns. A day of great hope. Waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We long for a place in which righteousness dwells as we live in a world and look around us and we don't see righteousness dwelling. We see evil pervasive around us. We see it, we hear it, and we long for a place where righteousness dwells and Scripture tells us that's coming in the new heavens and the new earth. It comes when Jesus comes in judgment and in His mercy. So, here's what we see. We see God providing both judgment and mercy in the flood and in the ark, right? And His covenant with Noah that extends to all creation. We see God providing both judgment and mercy in the first coming of Jesus, specifically at the cross. And we see judgment and mercy in the second coming of Jesus. It's a strange place to be where we're longing for justice, yet also recognizing how much we need mercy. We long for Jesus to come again, to set all things right, yet we know that so many people are separated from God by their sin and yet need to hear the gospel. So we're grateful for His mercy and His patience. There will be two responses to the return of Jesus when He comes. I'm going to close with this before we pray and sing a song. I want you to note the, the differences between these two responses. This is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to actually start in uh, verse 7. Where it says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. Okay, so this is re- talking about the return of Jesus. In flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Let's pray. Father, this is a, this is a sobering passage as we think about evil in the world. Maybe, maybe normally our reaction is to distract ourselves from it, entertain ourselves so we don't have to think much of it. But God, as we see the evil all around us, what we long for is justice and what we need is mercy. We long for evil to be restrained and punished, yet we know our hearts need your mercy. So I'm thankful that your promise to Noah is still in effect. Thank You for not wiping us out with a flood, though we would be deserving. Thank You for sending Your Son the first time to save us, that He might live as we failed to live, that He might 
absorb your wrath, being the just punishment for our sins, so that all who trust in Him receive not judgment but mercy. Thank you for the sure promise of Jesus' return to bring justice and to make all things new. Father, we long for Him to come. And until that day, I pray that you would strengthen us to be faithful, living lives of holiness and godliness, engaged in the work of proclaiming the gospel, so that many more might experience your mercy instead of your judgment. We thank you that Jesus, our Savior, said, Behold, I am coming soon. And we respond like the Apostle John. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Will you stand and sing with us one more time?